Welcome to Collective Mass Radio number six. Uh, today with me I have uh, Clark Krummenacker, who I've had the pleasure of working with at uh, Hidden Variable Studios. Um, he is a programmer extraordinaire and um, incredibly brilliant at uh, Unity. Um, so um, I'm just going to hand over to him just to introduce himself and tell him how tell us how he got into Unity. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I actually didn't... Um know much about Unity for a, a long time. And then I, uh, when I was at USC, I had to uh, TA a class or I had to be a teaching assistant for a class where I um, was teaching people how to use Unity. Um, and that was kind of a problem because I didn't know how to use it. So I, I uh, basically learned it on the fly uh, in order to teach uh, these, these students how to, how to uh, complete their, their semester projects. Um, and actually, as a result of that class, uh, I was able to um, meet some people and uh, eventually get a job at uh, Hidden Variable Studios. Um, we, we were originally in North Hollywood, now we're in uh, Glendale. Uh, and I've been there for, um, I guess, uh, a little over three years. And um, I was uh, their first employee. Uh, we've, released two, <laughs> we've released two games, uh, uh, Bagot and Tic Tactics. Uh, and, um, you know, over the course of the development of both of those, I've come to learn you know, a lot of things about Unity, a lot of things that I, I like, a lot of things I don't like. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's been a fun time. Right. So um, over the course of, of your time with Hidden Variable Studios, you guys have uh, released um, Bagot, which is a great uh, little um, puzzle game. Um, you've released Tic Tactics, which has gotten really good reviews, which is a new take on uh, Tic-Tac-Toe. And you've just helped to put uh, three on the Android store. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, so uh, the creators of Threes uh, had created the iPhone version, which was uh, which was very su- successful and uh, you know getting a lot of downloads. Um, and they wanted to uh, put it on the Android store, but they um, didn't have much experience uh, coding for Android um, or dealing with the uh, you know that particular platform's uh, intricacies. So uh, we we helped them out by uh, you know porting some of the the games. Uh, Features, particularly like you know, like leaderboards, achievements, cloud save uh, functionality, away from Game Center and into you know something that would work on on the Android platform. Oh, fantastic! Um, so, um, how how was it dealing with that kind of IP? Because I mean, they've gotten a lot of traction. Was it was it fun, or um, was it just kind of a, a just another port job? No, yeah, it was really it was really fun to work on a uh, you know a new project um, that was you know and something that something that had been so. So successful. It's kind of interesting to uh, take to, to have played the game myself and seen how polished it is and how you know how well thought out it is, and then actually be able to go in and see kind of like how the inner workings right. of, of the game game are put together. Uh, it's really interesting also just to see you know how a another developer put together their you know the game project. Right, and, you right. know, uh, there are a lot of ways to put stuff together. In Unity, so. <laughs> there is. Uh, did you get? Did you have a chance to meet the guy? Um, I think it's Aaron. Oh, a- Asher. Asher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Asher. Uh, yeah, he came back. He came by the office a few times. I actually went to school with him. So. Oh, no way. Um, I, I met him at school a few times. Um, we we didn't. We never were able to work together at school. Um, but yeah, he came by the office uh, a few times. We, took, we you know we talked a bit. Um, and uh, you know he's he's a really, he's a really cool guy. Right, excellent. How 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 is he handling the the success? I know he put out puzzle juice before, and that was, um, I think it was marginally successful. Um, but this game is really blown up. Is he uh, is he still pretty down to earth? 
Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. He, okay. you know, he's. I think he's handling it all pretty well, pretty in stride. Um, I, I, I think there, there's been some, you know, a little bit of concern or, or drama. You know, you could, it's been in the news about uh, uh, clones to the game, but, right? But I think, um, you know, I think he's been doing he's been doing you know pretty well, and uh, you know, he's he's really happy with the success of the game and you know how well it's been received. Uh, I think I think it, you know, it exceeded his expectations. By, by quite a bit, and, and you know it's, that's only a good thing. Absolutely. Um, so, in the making of threes, what what does he use for his two D solution? Um, let's see. He used a uh, a tool called um, uh, it was just called two D. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's a. I think it's. I think it's a publicly available library, but I haven't actually. Um, I haven't actually looked it up yet, but it's it's a very very lightweight uh, 2D solution, um, and it basically uh, it basically just you know renders the 2D 2D elements on cards um, right. as a lot of the 2D solutions do. Right. Um, it's I, I I'd say it's it's um, it's biggest claim to fame would be that it's 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 extremely simple and lightweight. Right. And it doesn't it's it's not a GUI system. It's just displaying 2D cards. That's perfect. You know, so. Okay, well that that that's interesting. So um, going all the way back to Bagot, um, I know uh, w while working with you on that that um, we used uh, Easy GUI. Uh, Easy GUI. <laughs> and I I'm not a the biggest fan of Easy GUI, um, but now you guys are using NGUI. I think you use NGUI for Tic Tactics. That's, that's right. Correct. Um, how did you find the transition between the two? Which ones do you like? Discrepancies. Sure. Let me try to uh, let me try to think here. Like. Um, I think when we started with Easy GUI, it was it was the best solution available um, in the market. It was you know it's pretty early on. I think early 2011. Right. Um, so there weren't many alternatives, but it, but Easy GUI did a great job. I think um, ultimately the problem that we ran into is that um, it was difficult for um, anyone outside the coding department to you know put together the um, the atlases and, and and actually create the the prefabs. So, right. so what would end up happening is um, our artist would create um, all, all the art, and he would pass it off to me, and I would um, then create the atlases and, um, and and put the prefabs together. I guess the reason, ultimately, or the core reason for that is that it was just very error prone. Like, um, in the process of creating atlases or putting together prefabs, like things might not show up correctly or right. or, or, or or whatnot, and it just would be very. Um, it just wouldn't be clear what was wrong. So it, our artist was very uncomfortable doing that sort of thing. Right. Um, Wasn't there an issue with just like every time you added a new sprite to the library, you had to like rebuild all the atlases and it, it seemed, um, I don't know, I, I can remember it being just a, a bit hair rising. But. Sure, sure. I mean, in concept, uh, the way EasyGui works is actually quite, it's quite cool. Um, the way the, the way it works is um, you basically have your your uh, 2D, they call, they're called sprites, the sprites and the scenes. And each sprite is assigned a material, and right. the way it builds the atlases is um, just every two D component that is assigned to a particular material um, also has a texture assigned to it. And then when you say build atlases, it finds all those two D components and packs all of the textures into that material for ah, the texture. Gotcha. So um, it's sort of an, it's sort of like it builds it by association, which is it sounds really cool, but um, unfortunately, with Unity, it was kind of like um, there, there were some issues where, like, just like, well, you have to make a prefab of it. You can't, if you have just an item in a scene and you don't have the scene open when you create the the uh, atlas, it'll it'll just exclude that texture from the atlas, right, which right. causes some 
some strange bugs. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a little bit backward. Well, I, who knows which way is forward as far as doing the 2D solutions goes. But I see that with uh, like Angui, X2D, 2D Toolkit, um, you all you have to be very aware of your atlas and your sprite making, you know, upfront, right? So mm-hmm. you, you know, you know what your sprites are. You put them in your atlas, you know, um, and then when you make your sprites, you then inherit from those. Like you select what atlas and what sprite. Um, which way do you do, do you prefer? I mean, do you prefer Ngui over X2D? You obviously went with a new sprite solution, so you were looking for something different. Yeah, so um, when we started, after we finished Bagot and we were moving on to uh, new projects, we looked at um, we looked at, at several uh, sort of 2D solutions. Uh, and we, we finally settled on Ngui. Um, one, of, one of the main things we were looking for is something that our artists um, would feel comfortable, artists and designers, I guess, would feel, feel comfortable using um, in their workflow. And, and one of the great things about NGUI was that it was, it just had like a, it had like a unity panel that was like create button. Right. And you clicked it. It said, you clicked it. It was like, Oh, what do you want to use for the background? What font do you want to use? And you click next and then it was there. Right. So it was very uh, friendly for our artists to use. Oh, that's a um, good point. And, um, I think, I think Atlas creation still took a little bit of work, but it was a little more straightforward than, uh, than an easy GUI, so yeah. our, our artist was ultimately able to to figure that out, um, and you know, so it's it's it ended up being a pretty good solution for us. Uh, I think um, I think what happens what happened with Easy GUI and what kind of happened in my in my opinion with NGUI is is um, they they did really well and they built like a really cool elegant system, but as time went on, it became sort of corroded as they added more features right, or refactored right, 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 and right, suddenly right. suddenly it wasn't it's it wasn't actually it's it's what it originally was and right. it, it became harder to use as a result right right that's a good point um yeah i mean like all those those 2d solutions you know all have their little things um i must say that angry could certainly make their texture create i mean their tech, texture atlas creation a little bit easier um i always kind of wanted to know which atlas I was editing and like if I wanted to add sprites, it was kind of, it just wasn't clear where, um, when some of the other guys have it, have it down pretty well where you just drag sprite into atlas and hit pack. So, okay, interesting. So that's good. Um, uh, what, if you had to take, take a look at Bagot, what would you say is your, your biggest coding achievement from Bagot? Um, let's see. Um, I guess when we had to code the, um, so I was, I was a pretty, I was pretty, still pretty new at coding when I, when I did Bagot. Um, so everything felt kind of like an achievement as, <laughs> as I was going, but, uh, there's actually like, there's actually like a, a, a section of the code where we, when you drag groceries around in the bag, we want, we want the groceries, which are, are all different shapes. Like some of them are two by threes. Some of them are L shaped. We want them to all sort of fluidly, and dynamically, like find the best place for them to be right. while while you're dragging them, uh, and 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 you can also drag uh, groceries through other groceries. So, um, in order to do that, we had to have this whole um, sort of uh, pre- predictive touch algorithm that would like predict where your finger was going, and then have sort of like a heuristic function that would um, determine the best position for the grocery at that time. And right. um, that actually, I mean. Getting that to work correctly was like vital, vital to the game. Yes, actually, it certainly was. Actually, actually working, and um, and uh, I, I spent you know probably a month like just banging my head against the wall. I, I felt like I would I would go to work 
and I would uh, try a few different algorithms and, and it would seem like sometimes it would seem like it was working and um, something, t- and then something terrible would happen. Like groceries would start getting stuck in each other and you have right. like a, a banana mutated with bread or something. <laughs> and, um, and, and um, it was really tough. It was very stressful. And then, and then eventually, um, actually the way I solved that problem ultimately was I just um, had to step back and stop trying to be, tr- stop trying to be elegant about it. I just had to, uh, implement the brute force solution right um, to the problem, which was basically you know you know how big a grocery is, um, and you know the grid, and you know where all the other groceries are. So you just have to check every grid square one by one and see where the empty spaces are, and, and then pick the best one. Uh, and once once I like stop trying to be you know elegant and optimized right out of the right out of the gate and just you know brute force right uh, solution to it, it, it was actually uh, you know it, it came together. Nice. Yeah. Well, it certainly works well. You never. Like, uh, it's one of the, the pains of being a programmer is, like, if you've done a really good job, nobody really knows, right? Because, like, you've done a great job with a heuristic, like, uh, solution, and it works so well that nobody actually knows yeah, that, well, you, that you're doing it. There's a, there's a, there's a quote from, uh, from Futurama, actually, that I really enjoy. Uh, and I think it has, it has some truth to it, where it's like, you know, like, it's like God teaches Bender a lesson about right. humanity, and he just he just like chuckles to himself and he says when you when you do something right people won't know you've done anything at all. That <laughs> yeah. uh, sounds yeah, that sounds pretty right. <laughs> um, well, excellent. That 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 sounds good. I mean, uh, what was the 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 final draw call number for that game? Oh, for Beckett? Yeah, um, I mean, we got it down to like five draw calls. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty small. Um, uh, uh, I think I think in you know in general we try to keep it pretty low like five or six right ish. I think there are probably some areas where it got up to maybe you know in the, in the late in the mid teens to twenties right. Um, but yeah, generally we did pretty well. I think I think the hardest part of managing draw calls, um, especially when you're using a two D solution, is just making sure that you keep everything in a single atlas mm-hmm. at the same layer. Um, you know. Uh, it's it's kind of it kind of sucks that you have to uh, manually sort of manage that stuff. Yeah. Um. Actually, Engui for for a while um, had a had a, a feature where they would um they would force everything to be drawn in the same layer for the yeah. same atlas, right. and that would cause some some weird graphical anomalies, but it would also save you um, in some cases from you know too many having too many draw calls. Right. But right. They took that out because it was uh you know people were complaining because you know like it's like my shit doesn't look right. Right. Um. But uh, you know, it, it was kind of it, it was kind of annoying even for us as we were developing. But ultimately, I think it might have been a, might have been a good thing to have. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I mean, watching that whole Joko thing and and specifically like you know sprite la- sprite layering things. I mean, we had a game that was a card game, so we had to figure out a way of like not getting a million draw calls, so we couldn't store. Um, you know, individual card textures, you know, in the resources folder and load them in separately because you'd have too many draw calls. Uh, but then you couldn't have all your atlases of like, you know, a hundred cards in memory at the same time. Mm. And then it wasn't only just doing that. It was the fact that, you know, you have, so you'd have multiple atlases and you'd have all this kind of overdraw stuff. Well, not overdraw, but like layer, layering issues. Mm. Um, yeah. But I mean, the new stuff, the new 2D stuff seems to be all good. I mean, just the Z depth on a 2D toolkit, and then then your like your depth layer on um, on the new Angui seems to work well. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I'd like yeah, you know, I'd like to try out 2D toolkit sometime. Um, if only because it seems like it's such a uh, 
it you know it solves one problem and solves it well as opposed to um you know trying to encompass a lot of different right. things like right. you know like like both easy gui and gui were they were the 2d renderers like gui providers they have all the, the widgets um they have tweening systems including right. you know, like, right. um i think what's kind of what, what, what feels kind of nice about 2d toolkit is 2d toolkit is that it like basically is just making 2d stuff work well right so right um Talking about that, we were talking about um, you know the differences between having a full featured GUI system versus having a sprite renderer, and the key to that is usually having your own input system. And you told me that you wrote your own. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. So um, basically, we uh, it, it, it isn't it isn't the most advanced thing in the world, but basically, what it does is um, you know Unity already abstracts the, uh, the the input from you get from a mobile device pretty well um, but you still find I still found myself like um, in, in any area of our code that required um, touch input or sorry mm -hmm. or sorry just input in general we would be doing like you know if in the if you're in the editor you got to do this stuff with the mouse and if you're in the um, if you're on the device you got to get the fingers and right. like, you know sort of figure out what the gesture is if you're trying to find a gesture or like the finger velocity and right. you know do, do all this math um, and, and and that it ultimately let, let, ended up being quite a bit of duplicate code. So what we tried to do is abstract what Unity gave us even more. And basically, um, um, we just we just started abstracting it into uh, in input events, essentially. So um, the basically the mouse and the touches were treated the same uh, under the hood, um, and then we could just sort of um, subscribe to. Uh, certain events and, 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 and be interested in them. Like if a, if, a, if a particular object in the game wants to know if you're tapping on it or not, it would, you know, it could subscribe to tap events. And, right. um, and what, is, what is a tap exactly? It's like, well, that's sort of something you could configure in the input manager. You could be like a tap is when you touch in one spot, but you let go within a certain period of time and you don't move your finger very far within that period of time right. as well. Like what's a swipe? It's um, when you... It's like what's the difference between a swipe and a flick, right? It's like, right, right. I, I don't know. Like a flick, a flick slightly faster. Right. So, right. so um, um, I think the main benefits of having our own input system were we were able to use the same pieces of code for many different platforms, mm -hmm. for many different input types, and then we could also um, just just sort of code like what is a tap or what is a flick or what is a, a swipe one time, mm -hmm. and not have to you know worry about that happening multiple times in, in different parts of the code. Yeah, yeah so. sounds good, man. I mean, uh, certainly something that I've known that a lot of different people have done. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see whether Unity will kind of just catch up on that and, and just have a little bit more uh, level of depth with that. You know what I mean? Like they give you access to everything. That's great. But um, I found that when writing my own input manager, you, you've got a little bit of some issues one is a little bit of the latencies as far as the update loop goes right mm -hmm. so you've got the update loop and i found that you've got to try and run your um your input update twice like once on the late update or on the on gui because um, that's a little bit faster and one on the on the update um and then the another one um, another issue is you know you've got two to three different mouse buttons, but you've got, you know, five to 20 uh, different touch events that you can get from, um, uh, from your, um, from your touch devices. Mm. Right. And so I found that like reconciling those, making sure that all of the touch events uh, work well with multi-touch 
um, is also another thing because it's all kind of like you know what I mean you're doing this in one update loop and you have to make sure that not only do you detect whether there's a tap but you ignore taps from other fingers as well right that's true I, I think so our, our system does take into account multi-touch right but we also uh, we also <laughs> Our games haven't really called for it, so we has, it hasn't been terribly, terribly well tested. Right. Um, I, like for example, one thing we do is we um, we limit the amount of input that we process uh-huh. based on what our game requires. Right. So, for example, tic, like Tic Tactics requires um, only tap input. So, I think we limit the maximum number of input inputs that we process to maybe like three. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um... Was there any like gotchas that you found uh, when you were writing your input system? Um, well, to this day, we still get a null exception from time to time. I'm still trying to figure it out. I think I think it's like the finger ID. So the way Unity I- identifies fingers between frames is is actually quite good, because um, uh, it's like it's like if you have if you have your your, your pointer finger on the screen. For, for for many frames, it'll it'll maintain the same ID, right? Uh, same finger ID, and um, in I guess in <laughs> I guess in like some SDKs, like not some like not Unity, it's right. uh, that's not necessarily the case, and it's like you sort of have to figure out what you have to sort of ID fingers based on what their past their previous position was. Wow. Okay. Um. So so that works really well. Yeah. Um. Um. But occasionally, like when you're if you're just like doing this a lot, like right. uh, I guess you can't see if you're if you're just if you're just like touching spamming the screen with input, we occasionally get some null exceptions. Like maybe one of the it seems more like one of the finger IDs is is not returning correctly, or maybe we're not accounting for something. Right, but, right, right. Um, so there was that, uh, and um, I guess uh, kind of kind of an interesting thing that we haven't quite um, solved yet is uh, or two things. Uh, first. Um, how do you handle, um, it's sort of, it's sort of a design decision. How do you handle, um, an object that wants to know about input, but it doesn't necessarily want to know, um, only about its input on itself. Cause generally what these, what these, um, uh, system, what these input systems do is they do a ray cast into the scene and whatever it hits, they send an input event to it. Mm-hmm. But like, let's say that you just want, you know, a manager class to mm-hmm. know if you've if, if you've done any input anywhere, right. or maybe if you've only done input in this, you know, like the upper fourth quadrant of the right, screen right, or something. Right, right. Um, so you, you would need a way for a, uh, a piece of code to say, I want to be able to listen for any input event, or I want to be able to listen to input events that occur specifically in this area. Right. Or I want to only get input events that um, happen on, on that touch, like my game object right, right. or my collider. Um, and then another another problem um, is uh, consuming uh, input events, right? Right. Um, it's it's kind of like, um, uh, for example, like let's say you have a pop up, but you want you want the game to stay active while you um, while well, the pop up is up. So right. you want it, you want to be able to do, but but you want a touch to be to dismiss the pop up as well. Right. So you want, you basically are saying you want um, the input to affect the pop-up and go like go through the pop-up but st- and still affect the game but you want the you want the uh, pop-up to still know that the event occurred which i guess is kind of similar to the the first thing i was talking about where it, it wants to know about things that are not necessarily input on itself can you give me an example of that um sure like uh for example in in tic tactics right now um if you try to move in a an invalid location 
uh, during a game, a, a pop-up comes up and it says like, oh, you know, you can't move here. And it's just a, it's just a pop-up that appears at the bottom of the screen, kind of like a toast. Right. Um, but you still have to dismiss the pop-up before you can continue playing the game. Right. Um, ideally, what you'd be able to do is you see the pop-up, and you're like, okay, great. And then you, you click on a valid place and you just keep playing. Right. Um, and that click on the valid place both dismisses the pop-up, but then also places your move. Oh, right. Um, so it, it, it has both effects at the same time. So, right. Um, yeah, so, so sort of getting getting that all to work correctly has been, you know, has, has not totally panned out yet, so could require a little refactoring. To get <laughs> to there, but yeah. yeah, that sounds it sounds pretty edge case, though. I'm not sure. It, it, it could be, but um, it's just... Um, it's just a matter of making, if you make assumptions about your input system, it's like maybe eventually. It'll get to the point it'll, where. It, like it won't, like someone will be like, oh, well, what if we need to do exactly this? I'm just like, oh, well, <laughs> I specifically assumed that we weren't going to do this particular right. thing. So. Right. Understood. And um, take tactics now. That's, uh, I mean, like that's a completely different ball game from, from Baggett, right? It's a different art style. Still all 2D. But you were telling me that you had three D, three D goodies. It's true. I mean, so yeah. I mean, uh, so Baggett was a, um, a sort of pack based, uh, or level based rather puzzle game. Um, whereas, and it was it was a premium game as well. Whereas uh, Tick Tactics is, is is a freemium game. It's uh, turn based, asynchronous multiplayer. Um, it's it's mainly two D. I mean, the game itself is mostly if you if you look at it, the game is mostly. Um, UI like your user interface, right, right, just right. just buttons and text and pop-ups. Right. Um, there is a, there is a little bit of 3D. One of the things uh, we, we we a lot of times we make mobile when we make mobile games um, with Unity, it's like we need, we want to use 2D because you know it's it's a cleaner look. Right. It, you know you don't have to do like 3D controls, but um, we have the overhead of a 3D engine with Unity, so we all we usually figure we, we might as well use some of the 3D features or, or keep Absolutely. that keep, keep that avenue open. Right. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things we, we wanted to do was um, have the actual game board in Tic Tac Tics. It's basically a, a, a tic-tac-toe board with nine tic-tac-toe sub-boards, right. um, if, if you can picture that. Um, we basically wanted each tile on the board to be a, a 3D object that would extrude towards you. So, yes, yeah, sort of like a 3D effect as you're playing the game. Um, so, yeah, each, so each tile in the game is actually a 3D, a 3D mesh, right. sort of rectangular. Um, and, um, basically as you're playing it, 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 it extrudes out towards you and, um, or, 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 or um, di- what's the word? Retracts. Right, Retracts right, right. In, in, into the board, um, to sort of tell you if you can make a move there or not. Um, so, I mean, one thing we ran into is when you use a perspective camera and you just pull things out like that, it doesn't quite look, look, you know, as good as you'd hope. Oh, well, you, you mean perspective or orthogonal? Oh, I perspective. Mean, oh, right, right. So like we, so we had a perspective camera. At first, and we would just pull the cubes out towards you, and we're yeah. like, we're like, yeah, it's gonna be like it's, it's like coming to you. It's like it's like gonna cut your eyes out or something. Um, <laughs> but um, but it doesn't really look like that. It's like oh, it's like the screen's really far away from you, and it's like oh, like you can kind of see the edges of it now because it's mm-hmm. got like a little border around it. So what we actually ended up doing is we used an orthographic camera, and we instead of extruding outward, we extrude up into the right. Oh right, right. Uh, so it looks like it's extruding really far, but it's really just—it's not extruding at all. It's just moving up into the left, or up to the right. Ah, uh, little left, tricks, so. yeah. So, nice. but yeah, but you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's like an optical illusion. If we ever wanted to change the perspective, we'd be screwed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting though. I mean, like in old games, it's all about like 
you know the tricks that you do under the hood it's not about simulating a real world and uh, so i mean i think you guys have done a good job there um you also told me that you did a lot of server stuff you just run me through that i mean it sounded really exciting you guys are using a, a third-party tool uh well third-party uh kind of like uh server hosting system you were using c sharp um so if you can just run us through that sure um so we uh so yeah you know, six tactics is a uh, is a turn-based turn-based puzzle game so um as a result of being turn-based we had to be able to um connect people playing on different devices and they had to um, we have to have some persistence of the of the game state um, or, or, or the sessions that people were having with each other because uh, a game doesn't finish within one session. Like generally, people one person makes a move, another person gets receives a push notification, and then they have to make a move. Um, so we needed some way to store all this data and manage it, like you know, in a in a distributed or in a you know a centralized location. Right. Uh, so uh, we looked at, we looked at a lot of solutions. I mean one. One thing that's tough for you know an indie developer is, or, or, or even a small even a small company would be to um, have to develop their own network infrastructure. You know, like like let's say let's say the worst case you buy you actually buy your own servers, right, 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 and you you set up all of the software on it, and that's just it's just a huge, um, a, it's just a, a huge cost, a huge yeah. cost. Um, so the next best thing is you can find someone to host the service for you. Um, there, there are some cool services like that. There's like Rackspace, uh, Joyent, uh, and you can actually you can actually just you know spin up servers there. And you know, a small server costs I don't know like maybe thirty bucks a month or something. Right. Um, so it's it's pretty good value. Um, and you can then put all your stuff on there. Um, one, one thing we did with um, with uh, Tic Tactics is we just didn't we just didn't want to have to worry about. Um, you know, the scaling problems, right? Like, you know, suddenly, suddenly you have a million people playing a game. Right. And, and you guys got pretty large, pretty fast, right? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did really well. We had, a, we had a lot of concurrent users. Um, and, um, it's so, we, so, so ultimately we, we didn't, we didn't want to have to deal with the scaling problem. They're like, if we had built our own system, it's possible that, you know, we, we, we didn't anticipate the right number of users right. or whatnot. And, and, you know, at, at the moment when we need our system the most, when we're really popular, when things are going viral, it just crashes down um, and nothing works. And, right. then, and then people move on and we, we, lose, we lose a ton of, ton of potential income as a result. Right. So um, what we did is we found, we found some alternative solutions um, that would basically, basically their, their, idea, their pitch is like, you know, they, they provide you with all the network infrastructure, but they, they deal with the scaling stuff um, internally. Um, we used a we used a service called Player IO, um, that was pretty that was pretty cool for us. Um, and um, one one of the benefits of, of Player IO was also that as opposed to having to write the server code in um, uh, in, in in maybe PHP or uh, Perl or what else did I use? I used Python for yeah. uh, for a server. Yeah, Python server. That's right. <laughs> um, instead of having to use the use um, sort of this vast array of, of languages. Um, we were able to just use C Sharp, which we used for our, our Unity games anyway, um, which was which was very uh, convenient. Right, excellent. And um, and you were saying that they had a proprietary data structure, so um, you weren't sure, like it's not SQL or anything like regular. Yeah, the proprietary data structure that you just plugged into. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they they have a, a system called uh, Big DV. Right. Um, 
and you know if you if you if you check out their their documentation it, it mentions you know exactly how stuff is stored they right. say it's like json right um it looks from the examples that i saw it looked it's like it is json um <laughs> but uh it, you know it's so um so as, i mean as as you said like it's it's maybe like a like a mongodb sort of database gotcha gotcha just stores big globs of data nice yeah and um, and you had no issues with uh, with speed. It was all perfect. Um, it was all it was all quite good actually. Yeah. Um, so when we when we were getting when we were getting a lot of users at one time when we you know we got featured the game was had just come out we were on news sites um, we had a lot of users and um, and yeah the game just sort of you know, kept chugging so it was it was it was very nice to not have to worry about. Um, those issues because <laughs> you know on, on Bagot we, we tried some some preliminary uh, stuff with just just delivering a JSON file right, right. To, to the client that would have like updated information I remember you talking about that and um, and uh, you know it was it was fun to implement and it was it, it was not so difficult to implement but ultimately we, we almost immediately ran into scaling issues where it was just like um, the simple act of of, of delivering a, a single JSON file to to our client from a from a web server was you know, it, it was killing the web server. It was taking too long, um, or, or the load was too high. And 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 to, to to resolve that, you have to deal with a lot of. Um, you have to start adding load balancers, and you have to add you know uh, additional application servers behind the load balancer. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to have logic that duplicates your databases on several several different systems. And it was and that in itself is a nightmare. Right? It's it's a nightmare. You you want to have you you would, you would need to have like full time employees dealing with that stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, as a small studio, we don't we don't we don't have full time employees to deal with that. So. And you were saying that uh, the player I O cost, if you're allowed to talk about it, was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You you, you can actually check out their um, their uh, pricing pages. And and uh, it's actually gotten better since we they, they revised their pricing strategy and it's basically um uh, it's basically based on the number of concurrent users that you have um and uh, I think they I think they well uh, let me take that back it might not be better than it used to be what it used to be was um you'd basically just pay for you you'd get a certain number of database accesses and a certain amount of concurrent users right um. A certain amount of bandwidth, right? Or, or yeah, of, of traffic. Um, I think now they want some sort of uh, royalty if you go over a certain amount of users. Wow. Um, and you know, I, I think whenever whenever people start talking about royalties, um, maybe developers get afraid. <laughs> oh yeah, cause, yeah, because you don't, uh, you know, it's like, how much is this royalty going to be? Because yeah. you, you already have to, you already have to deal with. Maybe a publisher takes a percentage, or yeah, the app store yeah. takes a percentage, and then suddenly your engine takes a percentage if you're, <laughs> if you're using like Unreal, for example. And, <laughs> and then, yes. and then, uh, and, and now your now your database provider wants to take a percentage. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. So, uh, tell me a little bit more about your your server code. So, you just write it in C sharp, and then uh, you said that you just wrap it up in a DLL and then push it to. Yeah, it's, it was so it's extremely elegant. Um, in that sense, you you're, you're writing C sharp code, um, and when you build you build a DLL file and you upload it to the server, and your entire server code is is encapsulated in a DLL. Um, and before before you upload DLL, you can specify um, in the code what the version of that DLL is, right? Uh, using a C sharp attribute. Um, um, so the benefit of this is you can actually have different sort of different revisions of the server code running at the same time. 
Oh, nice. So people, so let's say you've released version 1.0 of your game. Right. And it's running on the server version 1.0. Right. Uh, you release an update to your game that's version, you know, 1.1. Um, maybe maybe 80% of your users upgrade. Uh, but you still have that other percentage of people that you want to be able to keep supporting. Yes. Um, so you so what you can do is you can upload a new DLL that's version 1.1 as well. Um, and basically the server will still have both DLLs available. And when a client requests version 1.0, it'll, it'll get that that DLL version and they'll run the code in that DLL. If they get 1.1, they'll run in the other DLL. That's wonderful. Uh, so it's really it's really handy and it helps out it helps out a lot with um, sort of migration issues because um, a, a big a big issue with a game like this or like that is um, when we're updating to new versions. Um, you know we we don't we don't we don't want to we don't want to break the game for everyone yeah, for like yeah. a day as we're trying to migrate everyone. But what we can do is we can just keep both DLLs nice. live while while we get more people. Yeah, updating. I remember we had that giant issue the one time when we, uh, where the the player files on Android got corrupted. And it was oh just, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, but that's more, uh, of, a, that's more of an Android OS bug, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I remember feeling my face growing pale when I was like, you know, going through the stuff. But anyway, um, so okay, that that sounds great. So you've got you know different workflow. You're in Unity and you do Unity stuff, and then you have a separate C# project. I'm gathering for your DLL, and then um, you compile that and then upload it. How do you interface between the two? Do they have a um, like a Unity package, or how do you make oh, yeah, the calls? Yeah, PlayerIO has a, a Unity plugin, um, and you, you basically just you join to their cert. You call like a join function right. with your API key and your um, you know what, what the what room version you want to connect to, and you get a callback. It's like room connected, and then you can send um, your you can send your messages to it. And the messages are all all string based, which you know, eh, what can you do? You know, it's a, it's a network packet. So, uh, so you know, like you have a message that's like login, and you pass you can add like a certain number of parameters to the message. Uh, you sort of pack it up into a message. You send it. You it's very well it's very well um, abstracted. You just like you're like player io dot send message yes. like a message object and they receive it you can then unpack it perform some actions you know update database tables return either success failure um, and whatnot and, the, and then the client can can sort of uh, you know respond to that that's wonderful it sounds it sounds really cool how how secure is it is it transferred is it encrypted um, or you know sure? I'm not I'm not sure of the details it def, it is encrypted. For sure. So when you so when it when it's being sent to their servers, they encrypt it with some some protocol. When you send it back, it's encrypted as well. Okay. I can't say that we've tested it like you know like an incredible yeah. amount. We sort of took, take their word for it. Um, as long as there's somebody else to sue, right? Then that's fine. Exactly. <laughs> like, what were you guys thinking? Uh, well, that, I mean, like that that really sounds exciting. I'll see if I can actually line up a podcast with those guys because um, yeah, I'm sure that there's a lot more. You guys are using it for asynchronous and um, and you were saying that the actual system was built for synchronous games. That's correct. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's met our needs. Right. Yes. Excellent. Hopefully, it will meet on the needs of a lot of our listeners. Um, so now we're getting down to the real reason that I asked Clark here to rant about Unity. Is Clark is being um, a big Unreal fanboy for as long as I've worked with him and. Uh, Whenever we worked with Unity, he'd be like, but Unreal used to do it better. 
Um, so without putting Clark on the spot or anything, I just thought it would be a good idea to have him discuss his, uh, his experiences with Unity and Unreal, um, where Unity falls down, um, where Unreal falls down, and just kind of go through the two different, you know, uh, two different engines. So I'm going to hand it over to, to Clark now, um, and uh, go ahead and rant, my friends. Sure, I'll, I'll try to keep it. Try to keep it a coherence, as coherent as possible. I'll start. I'll start just shouting gibberish. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, so I started. I actually started using Unreal maybe a little uh, the UDK in particular a little bit before I started using Unity for school for school projects. Um, and uh, the uh, I guess the thing that struck me about Unreal was. Um, that it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a, an integrated environment. I mean, in the same way Unity is, but it's like uh, there's a right way to do everything. Um, I think Unity Unity is the, the, the original reason for Unity being called Unity was because you can publish to multiple platforms at um, using using a single source, and, and that's awesome. That's one of the one of the main draws of Unity. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I don't care for with Unity, and one thing that Kind of makes me feel like it's you know its name is a little little misleading is is how the, how the asset store is sort of fragmented um, you know the way that you can do things like it's like how it's it's like you, you have questions right like, like it's like how do you do two D right. in Unity it's like you have there are like eight different options and all of them have pros and cons on the one hand that that freedom to sort of pick pick and choose is 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 very powerful on the other hand um, when you have something like Unreal. They have a uh, a 2D solution um, built in, and they're like, "This is the this is the built in solution. We used it to make games, make AAA games, and you should use it too, right? Um, because we put it through its paces and it works, right? Um, this is the only this is the only 2D solution you're going to need. So um, there's something really nice about that to just um, to not have to sort of dive into the deep end and and the unknown and, and be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in on Angooby and, and we're, and we're going to make a game with it. And I really hope, and I, we evaluated it for a couple days and it seems pretty cool, but maybe it won't, maybe it won't hold up under stress for a full development cycle. I might just pause you here. I mean, like I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. I mean, we've lost uh, a lot of time over all the different projects that I've worked on, just trying to pick the right solution, right? Whether it's a 2D solution or it would be something else. Um, you're just like, there's always a couple of days R&D where you're like, you play with stuff and you just, at the end when you present your findings, you're just, you know that you haven't seen everything um, and you just hope that your decision was correct. Um, recently with working on uh, my wife's game, Notespace, we started off with Angry just because we've been working on it for so long. Um, and then, you know, turn to 2D Toolkit um, just because of 2D Toolkit sprite dicing, you know, mm. functionality, which is something that you don't just see up front because you don't expect to see it until you run into a problem and find out uh, whether your solution that you chose could, you know, solve that problem or if another solution had been put on the asset store primarily to fix that problem that you never knew you had. So I agree. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, Unity... They're the guys that you're you're kind of paying to um, maintain mm -hmm. Unity and and build it, whereas people on the asset store could be more flaky. Like maybe maybe you buy 
maybe buy something and then it doesn't get updated ever. No. Um, I'd like to right now mention GameDraw, who has released, you know, I think they stopped releasing at 0 0.8 and I'm still waiting for the update, guys. So come on, sort your shit out. <laughs> Okay, back to you, Mr. Clark. So you were saying, you know, fragmented uh, solutions. Um, uh, you were also talking about something about the business model around that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, this is like my conspiracy theory <laughs> going on right now. But um, I think um, I've, always, I've always kind of felt like the, the, the business model around Unity is not terribly, um, it's not terribly good for developers. Um, the reason for that is that you basically, you know, they're, they're introducing new options where you buy subscription plans and whatnot. You can, you can always use the free version of Unity, which is, which is pretty great until, but when you need to publish, it's probably a good idea to get the pro version. Um, but, um, it's like you buy, it's like you buy Unity 4, you buy Unity 5. Um, and, um, and then you go on the app, and then you're like, oh, I really need a 2D solution. It's like, why why doesn't the engine have a 2D solution built in? And granted, it does now, but for a, for a long time, it was it was a, 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 an area of need right. that was not that was not present in the engine. And and you think to yourself, luckily, the asset store is here to to fill that void for me. It just kind of, it kind of feels like um, the asset store um, sort of gives Unity a crutch, where they're like, well, you know, users really need. 2D support, like they're they're clamoring for it. They really need. Oh wait, you know, someone on the someone on the asset store has created this this 2D 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 um, solution. We don't necessarily have to do it right now. Right. We can we can prioritize some other feature because there's a, a solution on the store that is, you know, that is good enough. Right. For 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 most people's uses. Well, I know in that particular case, I have it on really good first hand authority. <laughs> I think Ara spoke about it um, before. Um, that uh, that wasn't the case with the with the UI, mm. but um, yeah, I, I can see your point where you know they let the 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 uh, community you know kind of take up the gaps in the engine. It's um, also uh, it, when you, when I compare Unreal to Unity, um, uh, I mean one one thing is that you know Epic actually um, creates they create they generally create games with with the engine that that they're building. Um, which, um, you know, I may be mistaken, but I don't, I, I think Unity's made some of their demo games, right? Uh, they make the, they make the demo games, which I'm sure are very helpful for proving out their pipeline and everything. But, um, there's something kind of comforting about being like, you know, I'm using the tool that they made, you know, Gears of War with right, or something. And, um, it gives you sort of a, sort of a confidence that this, this, this tool can, has all the pipelines and abilities to give you, you know, that sort of quality. Right. Um, so it's. Know, Battle tested, right? Yeah, like, it's battle tested. Yeah, everything in here is here because somebody needed it to make an actual game, not just thought that it was a good idea. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, like, what do you think that uh, Unity does better than Unreal? Um. Well, I think. Uh, Don't take too long now. Sorry. Let me just let me just think about it. Uh, you know, well, so I think um, I think there are a few things like so. I, I, I can go on and on about how I really like Unreal. For some reason, I'm an Unreal fanboy. But I mean, when uh, I mean when push comes to shove, the the big problem I have with like on, with the UDK, for example, is that um, there's well, for one, there's no source code available. Though Unreal Unreal Engine four changes that 
to some degree. But also, uh, like, let's say you wanted to add a plugin for some obscure thing. Like, right. You know, um, I want to, I want to add like, you know, Google Play game services. Right. Not saying that's obscure, but um, if it's not built into, if it's not something that Epic has already built into Unreal Engine, then you just you pretty much can't do it. Like they have a they have like a C plugin interface, but it doesn't work, it, or it's it's very very hard to use. Right. right. Um, compared to um, and 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 I'm sure and I, I as far as I know, Google has not written a plugin for for Unreal. So one of the big benefits. Is, in my mind, with Unity, is that you um, you have so much support uh, from from third parties. There, there uh, there's almost always a Unity plugin available for for just about anything. It's like Amazon Game Circle. There's there's a plugin. You know, Google Play Game Services. There's a plugin. Right. Um, it's and, and, you know it's very helpful. You know, you want to do you want to do Chart Boost ads. There's a Chart Boost plugin. Um, you want to you you know you want to do advertisements with you know, a, uh, an international partner, they have a unity plugin, right. surprisingly, um, <laughs> some small company that does advertisements. They, they've already, they're already on it. So, That's good. so it's really, it's really cool that they, that unity has that much support, uh, from, you know, these third party, uh, I guess it, it, it kind of goes along with their ethos of being unity and being published on a whole bunch of different devices. You know what I mean? And you can release on anything. So therefore they, they would need to make sure that the infrastructure allows for them to, you know, be able to do that. It's really incredible how extendable, you know, the Unity engine is. Um, you can, yeah, you can just add all add all of these plugins in, you know, and they all work, they all work together. They don't, they rarely conflict. I, I remember when we were doing Bagot and we had some obscure stuff that we had to do um, plugins for for Java. I mean, for Android, and we mm-hmm. had to like access the whole Java thing, and that was quite interesting. But um, the fact that you at least had a way of getting there, you know what I mean? It was very, very cool. Um, right. Well, I mean, like, is um, there's there's always the issue of, you know, most programmers are wondering where the main function is, you know what I mean, oh, in yeah. Unity. Like, so you put everything together, and you're like, okay, I've got a bunch of game objects on the scene, hit play, that's all great, but now I want to get down with making this stuff, um, you know, production ready. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that everything starts up in order, and there's a main function where you know you kick everything off um they don't have that i know that throws most programmers for a loop in the beginning because programming almost by nature is you know a um order of operations thing sure um and um and what about the game object architecture do you find that it's good it's bad i mean what what does unreal have um to com- uh, that is comparable or sure so um so Unreal's they've moved in, in the newest engine. Granted, Unreal Four they've moved away from Unreal Script. So this may not be totally up to date. But when I when I was using the UDK regularly, they uh, Unreal Script was sort of the thing that you used. And right. um, um, they they actually uh, Unreal has a very deep inheritance hierarchy. You know, sort of like it's like what it's like what used to be popular in game development. It's just inherit everything from everything. Right. Um, and then they, and then they also had added in, um, a component architecture as well. Oh, they um, did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can, you, you'd have, you'd basically have a, an inheritance hierarchy of actors, which would be in your scene, but you could also add components to them, which would be you know, like this actor has a cylinder component. Right. And the cylinder component, you know, does collision and, you know, physics and all that stuff. Right. Um, so, um, I think like I think the Unity uh, game object and component system is 
is very powerful in that way. Um, just being able to sort of encapsulate everything in small classes and um, keep your inheritance tree very, uh, very small. I mean, I think, like, I think if I was to try to design my own my own engine, like, the, I would definitely go with the component architecture. Yeah. Uh, in that way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I actually kind of like having at least having a uh, a shallow inheritance hierarchy for the actual objects. I agree. Um, at the actual game objects. Um, it's, uh, I don't know in Unity if you're able to inherit from the game object to create your, I don't think it would work very well because you can't create them in right, the editor right, very right, easily. Right, right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's something that I think would be kind of cool to be able to do. Sort of, sort, sort of so you could, maybe you can make your inner, like an intermediary game object that has, you know, on top of Unity basic functionality for game objects, you right. can add your own stuff that, you know, sort of a boilerplate that you can use in all over the place. Right, right, gotcha. Um, yeah, you were telling me about um, about your inheritance structure where you've got like, I think it was a game object that you inherited from and then you were able to make um, a whole bunch of different types of games really fast. Do sure, you want sure. to speak um, about that a bit? Yeah, so we were doing some prototyping internally um, and um, one of the things we wanted to do was to be able to create, uh, basically take these art assets and uh, some, basic, some basic concepts, uh, like you have a game that you can win and lose. And you have, you have a, a a guy like a little guy that can jump around and stuff. It's like, what can we do? Like, we can try many different game modes with this. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, again, going back to Unreal, um, I, I find I find a lot of the Unreal um, you know code um, architecture very uh, is very elegant. Um, one thing that they do is um, they define a game class, um, and then you from from the game class you can then inherit. Um, and override certain functions to create new functionality. So, for example, in if if you get the UDK, I think they have like a uh, a UDK game, which is just provides very basic like sandbox functionality, and then they have like a deathmatch game, which is like people fighting against each other. Right, right. It just it, it uses everything that was written in the core game class to sort of like you know start a match, um, or just to, to like load the map and set everything up, and then tear everything down. Right. But then. You just uh, the the, ba the the child class just exposes certain functions like like spawn players, right? And you're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to spawn players for this game? It's like I'm going to instantiate these prefabs, and I'm on my way. It's like set up set up HUD. It's like, right. what do I need on the HUD? Well, for this particular game mode, it's like a time trial, so I need to spawn a you know a timer object, so right. I, I can spawn a timer here. So um, that sort of having that sort of architecture made it very easy for us to. Um, just quickly be like, what if we had a game mode that was, um, you know, you, you control five people at the same time, um, and they all just, they, you just had input, and they would all just do the same thing, or, right. or whatever whatever you told them to at the same time. Um, and then we and then we were also very easily be able to be like, what if you had multiple people, but you can toggle between them with a button in the corner. Right. Um, and all of that was able to coexist very, um, you know, very peacefully. Yeah. In in a, in our code base, just just with a simple a simple shallow hierarchy where um, you basically just have a base game class and um, you know maybe four to five uh, inherited you know, game classes that are more specific. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, just thinking while you were talking about that, maybe if Unity um, allowed access to the scene, 
like to the scene class because you're talking about how um, in UDK you know they you know they talk about loading all the assets in and like your base load and mm -hmm. stuff and it seems very close to what the scene actually does. So if you are able to either attach a script to the scene or extend the scene in some way, you know what I mean? So the overarching scene that like that's loaded in has some logic to it and that could also help with order of operations because you know that the scene's gonna load up before anything else, right? Oh, yeah. That could be that could be really cool if you had like a if you had like a scene load and a scene exit yeah, or function just, or something, yeah, or yeah. scene enter, scene exit. Um I guess you can use like on level was loaded or something like that, but then you but then you have the problem where, you know, maybe you know, maybe like eight objects have that, and you don't know which one necessarily gets called first. And yes, um, order order of operations is always a little tricky. Yeah, with with that architecture. Have you ever used the um, the script execution uh, index thing that the, the Unity guys got going? Because I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so so that's actually um, so to solve to solve the main problem. That's what we that's what we we use. Um, we basically have a. Uh, um, a, a prefab in every scene, right? And um, basically, the first thing it does when it wakes up is it sees if one, another one already exists, and it kills itself, right? <laughs> if if it, if it does, uh, so only one only one can can live, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And and then the next thing it does uh, after that after that initial check is it just initializes the game, mm -hmm. it does all the initialization stuff. Um, and you set the script execution order on that one like to negative one or something, or uh, we just we just always make sure it's the top one. It's always the thing that's going to get executed first. Okay, in the in the script execution order. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and that works pretty well. Um, so that allows us to just start the game from any scene. Um, if you know, if we have a lot of scenes, and um, it's it's pretty handy. Um, one one issue that we ran into is um, uh, sometimes you want some, let's say let's say you have you want the um, the initializer to, to spawn like a prefab of some sort, right? Um, there's like an order of execution issue that starts to occur if the prefab that you spawn has an awake on it, right? That requires access to other things that are not necessarily of course yes, spawned yeah. yet. So um, it gets it gets a little tricky. Um, <laughs> yeah, it always does. So, so I, I think probably um, you know currently we we actually generally use awake for initialization on those on those on the stuff that's initialized. I think probably what we should move towards is just having an initialized function, because um, I because I think that would just give us more control over when things are initialized as opposed to like oh we just instantiated this thing or maybe the, it just happens to be in the scene right and it's you know whoop, game game crashes null exception right 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 uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I've seen a number of different approaches on how that works, um, but it all revolves around having start like having a tight control over you know your whole startup process, right? Mm -hmm. So like you know, there, there's some things where like I've got a, an event system that I have things subscribed to, and um, your your main scene that gets loaded will fire a everything's loaded event, right? And at that point, everything's loaded and awake, and there you can then continue doing your other things. So. That's pretty cool. So it's like a, it's like you make your own sort of awake function that is pretty like much. it's like we're it's like we're really awake now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. It's like, like actually everything is awake. Yeah, it's like oh, <laughs> at this point everything is awake. They've had their coffee. They haven't started yet, but they're about to start. So yeah. So um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of different things. Do you have an event system that you work with? Uh, or you made uh, or yeah, yeah. We yeah actually we made a. Um, 
so we, we we're big fans, or maybe I can't speak for everyone. I'm I'm a big fan of C sharp events. Right. Um, at first, I was at, when I first started using Unity, I was worried that they were too maybe too heavy. Right. Um, or they would cause performance issues, but I, that that hasn't been the case at all. And there's also the concern like of it screwing up your stack traces, right? Right. But fortunately, you know, stack traces still totally work with, yep. with events, <laughs> um, which is awesome. Um, uh, so I'm like, coroutine is coroutine screw up the stack traces all the time. Oh, um, God, I hate Kind of, but, um, uh, uh, sorry. Um, no worries. We were talking about, um, your, your, the event system. Right, right. So we, we actually created a, at, for Bagot, we had a, a kind of a specialized event system where we had an enum with all the events and you could fire a particular, right. and that's, that's really great. Um, because uh, it's all enforced at compile time, right? You know, like you're, you're sure everything is going to work, and everyone's listening to the right things. Um, for Tic Tactics, we wanted something that was more reusable, right? Like we didn't want to have to, like, basically rewrite this enum for every game and like right. copy and paste files everywhere. So, um, our, our our new event system basically um, it basically just you just publish. It's a published subscriber model, so you can subscribe or unsubscribe to it, right. and then you can publish, right? Um, and all the events are just string-based. Okay. They're just strings. So there's like, you know, level level ready or something. Or, right, right, right. You know. Yeah, that's exactly what, what, uh, what I do, which is interesting. Except um, I pass through um, a generic object. Oh, yeah. So. yeah we, we, we do that, too. Um, it's pretty handy. Um, a, lot yeah. of times, a lot of times it's just null. I think... I think... So, so it's, it's very powerful. It's a very powerful. It's a very reusable system. I think what makes me a little uneasy about it is like you know like a typo is going to cause problems, obviously, because um, when because because the 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 event names are strings, so they're not enforceable by the compiler. So you have to wait till runtime to see if anything blows up. Breaks, right, right. yeah. Um, and then also um, there has I mean this isn't so bad, but there has to be like kind of an, kind of an implicit knowledge between classes, right? That when I fire this event, I'm going to send a you know, a player object. And right. when you receive the event, it, yeah. you're going to know it's a player. Right. Um, where, whereas like, um, using like a C sharp action where you can like, it's templated. So you can basically say like, it's going to be a player. Right. Yeah. And, and the, and if it does, if, if you're not expecting a player, the compiler is going to complain. Yeah, yeah. It's usually much less error prone for us. I, I, I completely agree. Uh, one of the things with writing the event, uh, with my event manager is that I had to write almost, not two, but like a, a, an abstracted version. You'd write one that you'd write, you'd use in code, and then you'd write um, an e extrapolated version on top that you would use for like um, editor-based things. Because there's a lot of times where you say, okay, I've got a dialogue system. I don't need to be there to set up all these dialogues and say what happens next. It's very basic math, you know. You're just saying, okay, when this one fires, if you hit no, and you close, if you hit yes, and throw another dialogue out. Um, so I wanted a dialogue system where, where it allows me to link other dialogues to it or, mm. you know, and so, um, so still had the event system, but just, you know, kind of limited the, um, the inputs to strings and you get into that ugly situation where you want more than one parameter to get passed through. So you start using delimiters and things like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so it would be really nice if we could kind of get a ready, um, classy way of 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 having an event system where you can pass through a whole bunch of different you know types of of data um, sure you know um, built into unity for the for the editor yeah i mean what you could potentially do is um 
you can just pass around uh, uh, dictionaries. It's like it's like it's, basically, it's like the yeah, I don't yeah, know. but it's like the it's like the Facebook solution to everything. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of elegant, but they basically just return dictionaries, right? And it's always like you know, if if the key's available, I'll use it. But if it's not, I'll fall back on something else. Yeah, the dictionary's great. It's still you still run into the issue I found. Um, in the editor specifically is like I in my little inspection panel I want to be able to put in whatever I want right so if if I'm expecting to link an object to this so let's say I wanted to link the next dialogue prefab that needs to pop up I can't do that directly you know what I mean because it's like that field that I have available to put my data in is either a string or you can put an int or a float in there that mm. you can then cast later but um, it would just be nice where you could you you could then specify almost the generic you know you can be one of these things and I tell you you know you know if you drag this thing in there it becomes oh, sure, uh, yeah. this type of object right? that'd be cool yeah but on the whole <laughs> yeah it's all good so I mean like uh, you you telling me you uh, you were playing a lot of Dark Souls recently yes still I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm going through Dark Souls I'm chugging along <laughs> Dark Souls two. Right. Just to be clear, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. So far, I think it's pretty easy. All right. Yeah. I can remember you regaling me with tales of your Dark Souls one adventures and how you just get yeah destroyed. Yeah, but you know it's it's you know it's, it's really hard, but you feel good when you actually are able to finish something when you're actually able to make progress. Yeah, um, it's a tale of adversity. Well, I mean, that's it's very interesting. I mean, like, we make games, and there have been theories that come and go. Like, one, I can remember, uh, I think, like, 2008. The idea of actually killing, you know, or doing bad things to the player was just a big no-no. Uh, and then we, you know, we move on and find out that that's not the case. You know what I mean? Like, Do you mean, like, people would stop playing if you killed them? Like, yes. Or like, yeah. everyone, everyone's worried that... Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's, it's tough, because, like, uh, I... Uh, I kind of, I, I like, I think usability testing is really important, but you also don't want to like generify the game, right? Yes. That's, a, that's not really a word, but. It is uh, now. <laughs> generify. <laughs> um, you have been generified. But uh, yeah, if you, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like, you're, maybe you're, maybe you're afraid that people are going to stop playing if you do this particular thing, or you don't want to offend people, or you don't want people to get the wrong idea or something. And as a result, the game just becomes very sort of you know very it's very palatable but it's not but you know it loses its personality yeah and and people it's hard for people to become fans of it because you know there's nothing there that is particularly you know like you know causing a blip on their radar it's right. like yeah you know it's like a it's a, it's a cute character <laughs> yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't die yeah when anybody like uh compares your game to something else a little piece inside of you that dies you know they're mm. like oh it's uh you know it's just like it's war but you know with balloons and, <laughs> and you're like oh i failed that well, i suppose it is <laughs> <laughs> now that's a very interesting point about uh, personality and character i think as an indie developer it's really hard because you want you want to make as much money as possible because you you know you're not a big studio and but then you also realize that um, you've got a very small chance of making a huge amount of money, so you want to find the right niche market, and then you also don't want to sell out as as a personal developer. You don't want to actually just say, "Hey, um, I'm making games as a job now, not making games as a passion that is a job." That's true. It's really it's really hard. It's a really hard balance because uh, yeah, like you know, I think there's a lot of value and a lot of um, 
potential upside to being very deliberate in how you make your games. Like, you know, maybe maybe in the middle of your game you do something totally out of the blue and it doesn't, you know, it surprises players, but maybe they maybe they remember that. Maybe, right. you know. Um in, in, in a vacuum it just seems like a crazy thing to do. Right. You know, everyone like everyone in your game wears pink flamingo hats or something. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a, re- of a reasonable example. <laughs> Pink flamingo hats is yeah. definitely a reasonable example. And uh, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I think I think it's that sort of thing that you know, people are gonna, either going to look at your game and be like, "Oh man, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen," or they're going to be like, "Man, this, this is something I can really get behind. Like, I really relate to whatever this game is selling." And they become act- they become fans, like like right. actual fans who like would are, are searching for the next thing you put out. Right. Um, but that's also dangerous because you don't want to alienate people when you're trying to make a profit as an independent developer. So right. It's, it's, it's a really hard balance too. Yep. <laughs> well, that's about all we got time for this week. Um, once again, thanks to uh, to Clark for coming on. Um, and uh, his studio is Hidden Variable. They put out um, uh, two games. They put out uh, Bagot, so go and get that, and uh, Tic Tactic, so go and support that as well, um, as well as the Android version of Threes. Um, and that's it. Uh, Clark, do you have a Twitter account that you want to share? Oh, sure, sure. My, uh, yeah, my Twitter account is, um, just at, I guess it's at, I haven't used it for a while, but it's at, it's, it'd be great if people twitter, tw- tweeted towards me. <laughs> what's the what's the word twit tweety tweet uh I'm, tweet. I'm, I'm 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 showing my colors as an old man <laughs> I, if people people tweet at me it's at it's at chromanock uh it's just basically my last name without the er gotcha um yeah i mean just and you do know. you have a website or a blog or anything oh yeah, yeah. I, uh i have a uh have a uh sort of a portfolio website clarkchromanocker.com um, there's also a link on there to my blog, but the, the actual blog itself is, is just superpsychfault.com. Um, um, and yeah, that's it. I, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I post a thing or two on the blog from time to time. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's just basically, uh, it, it's mostly unity stuff. So, you know, when we, when we encounter something like a gotcha or something interesting about unity, I try to post a little something, uh, just to. Both, both, both. If anyone's interested, but also to remind myself <laughs> in the future. Fantastic. Well, um, all of that data will be in the transcript. And thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night.